Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the India at 75 Foundation Fireside Chat series on I Have a Dream, where host Mr. Rajan Navani, chairman of the CII's Council on India at 75, initiates candid conversations on India at 100. Today's episode features Mr. Rakesh Bharti Mittal, past president CII and vice chairman Bharti Enterprises where he shares his views on paving the way for innovative, sustainable and an inclusive India at 100. Let's listen to this interesting conversation. Well, Rakesh, you're the perfect person, really, you know, because you have such a diversified interest in both India and India going global. Uh, you know, it's, it's so critical and important for, you know, your uh, thoughts on how, how we really, you know, India Inc. evolve over you know, the next 25 years and, and really, how do you see that, you know, shaping up the future, not only of, of India as a country, but, you know, our role uh, in, in, in the world, you know, as we emerge over this Amrit Kal, you know, as our Prime Minister likes to call it. Right. Um, so, uh, let me start on a lighter note. I think the backdrop uh, 75 needs to be dropped and 100 to be brought in. Uh, this is something which should have happened uh, I know while the agenda is being uh, shaped, but clearly we are on the journey of India at 100 now. So, so that's let that's on a, on a, on a lighter note. Uh, and I don't know how many people uh, have joined uh, the chat, uh, but uh, you know, I I am a, a product. I would say not me, but Bharti is a is a pro- product of post liberalisation uh, policies of 1991, <clears throat> and we have uh, seen. Uh, how India has evolved from a very, very strong, restrictive, um, uh, prohibitive license raj, you know, in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s, uh, until uh, until the end of 90s, when uh, the liberalization came in. And uh, today we see a stronger, resilient India, the third uh, largest uh, startup ecosystem in the world, amongst the top five uh, economies uh, uh, globally. And I think more importantly, uh, while uh, when we looked at 1991 onwards, India took a different path of, uh, uh, you know, going on the services side and therefore the manufacturing and agriculture's contribution to GDP uh, came down uh, over, over time. Uh, having said that, uh, uh, and I'm not saying that we uh, the services sector didn't do a good job. I think they did a hell of a job, an excellent job to ensure uh, creating employment and also, uh, you know, exports of services, uh, um, uh, offshoring uh, or onshoring onto India, the software industry, the IT industry played a very, very big role. Honestly, hand on heart, I would have not thought of that India will uh, one day see the revival of manufacturing sector. And I must, uh, you know, uh, give this to Prime Minister Modi on his vision of uh, uh, getting into the incentivization through the performance-linked uh, incentive schemes. And one of the uh, one of the success which we have seen is on the mobile phone manufacturing. Today we have in, in excess of 150 manufacturing units, and they are not only manufacturing. I think also launching the latest designs and exporting to the world. So uh, there is now a huge focus on various sectors, electronics, telecom, food, food processing, uh, and, and many other uh, sectors which are being added to. 
One of the other things uh, which I have also seen during the past, uh, uh, you know, two decades, our focus and uh, deep involvement in developing uh, uh, products, be it the pharma sector, be it the auto sector. And very recently, we see the space sector, which was recently open to the private uh, players. Uh, uh, we just saw uh, two of the young, uh, you know, uh, if I may say, uh, uh, ex-ISRO employees who got together and assembled a complete uh, Indian rocket which was fired by ISRO. I think these are not only success stories, but it also gives us confidence in our own capabilities and more importantly, delivering products at affordable prices. I think that is something which India is bringing onto the global uh, table, if I may say, that we are, we are cost conscious. We also want to see affordability so that the consumers can afford those products or the services, if I may say. I mean, telecom is a classic case. Even today, at whatever the tariffs are, it's the cheapest in the world. The last point I want to make here is on uh, the, the transformation which has taken uh, across the uh, India Inc. The, if you see today, there are a large number of uh, corporate players who are responsible citizens. So it's not only the product services they sell or the profitability which they look at. It is also sustainability with profitability. Uh, huge uh, uh, focus on transparency and governance. Uh, and, and if I may say, uh, one of the other factors which I clearly see, more and more focus on the employees, your own family members who work within your organizations. So we are clearly investing in our people. We are clearly investing in uh, innovating, innovating uh, new technologies, startup ecosystem. And as a responsible citizen, if we see every year now, corporate India spends about 20,000 crores on CSR. I think that is something which also makes sure that we are looking at inclusive growth. No, I, think, I think all very, very valid, true India points. You know, especially driving this price performance curve. I think no country really does it better than India. And what you have done in telecom is a global example of mass value, you know, uh, affordable value solutions, you know, and tremendous performance. But, you know, Rakesh, to your point on the India at 75 and why that's still in the backdrop. Uh, you know, we are, as you've been a CII president, you've been involved with CII, you've been so integrated, you know, to the India at 75 agenda, you know, that CII took on this agenda of India at 75 when we were celebrating India at 60. Uh, and of course, you know, the then uh, Chief Minister of Gujarat and Honorable Prime Minister today, you know, did, you know, speak at a three-hour meeting with us and said that when we come to Delhi, we will make large parts of this vision come true uh, at a government level. And today, you know, we are sitting celebrating the Amrut Mahotsav, you know, as a part of India at 75 and the celebrations you know continue until August of uh, this year Rakesh uh, you know given that we lost some time with COVID so mm. one of the exercises that we are doing as India at 75 is not only celebrating what we've achieved in all of these 75 years of independence but also have conversations like this and see what we can do to accelerate you know our growth and our position and the inclusive agenda of India over the next 25 years. So right. the India 100 is still today an integral part of this and at the right time uh, what you said it will move into a execution mode. Uh, we are you know building voices understanding a ground up 
you know, level of uh, depth in terms of what are the prioritized issues and how can we address them, you know, uh, together. You know, you have been very passionate, uh, you know, through when I look at your, your bio and I know you, of course, over all these years, whenever we speak, you're so passionate about education. You know, you, as your foundation, you operate, I think, 173 Satya Bharati schools, support over 800, 800 plus government schools, looked at it from many, many angles of holistic education and others. You know, so when we talk, Rakesh, about paving the way for an innovative, sustainable, inclusive India country, really, what are those priority sectors, right? Like, especially we started education and maybe one or two other sectors, you know, that you think we need to build focus on. And if we have to build a focus, really, how do we make that, you know, uh, agenda inclusive? Because, you know, any change in India, we see in pockets of excellence is not really, you know, the India that you know, will 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 get us where we need to be by India at 100. But, you know, building about both scale and depth, uh, how do we really go about it? So, it'd be great to get your thoughts on that. <clears throat> you know, Rajan, I think, um, you know, you've rightly termed uh, my my passion uh, on, the, on the education side. Um, and this is something which uh, we realized uh, way back, uh, you know, in the late 90s, uh, when we were still a young, uh, you know, uh, if I may say, young bird uh, sort of trying to find a feet. But uh, we were very, very clear from day one that uh, uh, if we have to make a difference uh, in, the, in the economic growth of India, partake in the economic growth of India, then there has to be something which needs to drive us also. And there is an old adage, you know, we've been uh, hearing this about... Uh, in our school time, during our school time, to, to make a buck. And every, everyone talks about that. And uh, Bharti uh, DNA, I mean, we, we very, in the very early years, in the, in the 90s, we, we decided that we will change this paradigm from to make a buck to actually to make a buck to make a difference. So that is the, the core DNA of Bharti. And uh, uh, 2000, we set up the Bharti Foundation. While uh, right from the early years when we started businesses, we were supporting scholarships, Bharti scholarships in engineering and management institutes. But then we decided to pick up one sector and education was something which was the dire need uh, of the country uh, as, as a whole. More importantly, the students who come from disadvantaged uh, you know, segments of society. And uh, therefore, uh, Bharti Foundation was, was set up with a vision uh, you know, to, to ensure the young population of India, uh, to enable them to realize, their, to realize and pursue their dreams. And I believe uh, if India has to be amongst the top three economies, which, uh, uh, which is in very, uh, you know, it, it's not very far off. I mean, it's going to happen during our lifetimes. That is one thing which I'm really, really excited about. In that case, we have to make sure that our young generations are not only educated, but they are educated with a strong value system. And one of the things which pains me, uh, and I've been witnessing this, witnessing this for the last uh, decade and a half or two, we have all focused. And when I say we, it starts from the parents, the teachers, the society, and the entire governance system, if I may say. We have all focused on education, educating our child. And we forgot that a strong value system is equally important to make uh, 
to make them human in their approach and that is a time when we decided to set up the satya bharti schools uh, and this came uh, uh, you know in the year 2006 when prime minister manmohan singh inaugurated the bharti school of telecom technology and management at iit delhi uh, prior to that we were predominantly supporting the higher education as i mentioned earlier and uh, as we speak today in addition to the bharti school we we are the founders one of the founder supporters of isb mohali campus with bharti institute of public policy which has the fletcher school of diplomacy tufts university as our partner we set up the bharti center for telecom uh, research at iit mumbai and the latest venture is the plaksha university in mohali which is a science led engineering core uh, engineering courses um so coming back to my schools first because that's what you mentioned um so dr singh you know gave a clarion call to to corporate india to get into primary education and we said we'll soon do something and 2006 we started our journey uh and as we see today we have 173 village schools so all my schools are in villages because of our vision of going and touching the last child standing in the rural hinterland of india we all know even in the cities the teachers uh, you know are absent in the government schools you you sort of flip the coin and go into the rural areas teachers are not there and if the teachers are in schools there is no education happening while i believe with the uh, you know right to education the enrollment in government schools uh, have gone up uh, significantly 70% plus in fact the latest uh, asar report which was launched only yesterday talks about that it's in the it's in the newspapers today but there is no worthwhile education or changing lives if i may say therefore we went into villages today the uh, there are 40000 uh, boys and girls in the satya bharti school 173 punjab haryana rajasthan up and tamil nadu we were in west bengal also we just got uh, out of the west bengal last year and the idea is now to more and more focus on the quality support program in government schools because you know you 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 are aware of that every village every small taluka has government school and my push was why you know do you want us to keep on putting more on capex i would rather spend that money in in educating children and today we have uh, 800 plus quality support program uh, in the government schools so bharti foundation currently is in 16 states we we touch 350000 students every morning in one way or the other and uh, qsp at scale where we have started working with the state governments this year we've already crossed a million children through our direct and indirect uh, uh, interventions and when i say indirect you know it is uh, for example a bagless day no bag day one day a week uh, while the nep talks about uh, 12 times a month we are trying to see if we can do it one time once a week which means four times and that is something which is in play and also life skilling life skill of, uh, you know uh, for the students through the club system i was surprised that government schools have no club private schools do have but government schools don't have it uh, government schools have the best of inf- uh, the best of equipment but not being used so when we went into the schools uh, we set up the computer labs the science labs the libraries the co curricular activities public speaking so we do all thing everything around education but for educate getting into the education 
that has resulted in that the students don't want to go back home and they're forcing the teachers to be present in schools and therefore education is also happening and we see a significant shift in the learning levels so coming back to i believe today we are at the cusp actually we have lost uh, a lot of time if i may say but the the sooner we realize there needs to be serious industry academia engagement on the higher education side and why i'm saying so today the if you see the faculty is happy teaching what they have been teaching for the last 20 30 years students are okay because those are the only courses which are being made available and hence when we see the outcome after 4 years of or 3 years of graduation there are only 29% employable and 71% are not even employable and you have to train and retrain them the world is moved from jobs in future to future of jobs while we are still stuck in the old you know rigmarole of jobs in future and i believe that the engineering courses need a complete refurbish we need to look at future technologies the programs and courses need to be on artificial intelligence iot machine learning augmented virtual reality robotics computer sciences and clubbed with that the life sciences or the biosciences if i may say because the, these lines of uh, you know this uh, clear distinction of uh, human uh, um, uh, arts commerce science they are all blurring they are all coming together and therefore it is a it is a great need for academics to understand that their engagement with industry cannot just be summer jobs i mean summer internships and finally the, at the end of the course job placements we need to sit together on on uh, revising the curriculum we need to sit together on research and development in a very very transparent manner we need to look at how the corp uh, the uh, industry senior leadership can be part of the teaching if i may say and therefore there is a lot of work which needs to be done nep is addressed that uh, to a large extent which is yet to be implemented but ultimately you know there is always a policy and implementation and we go wrong at the implementation stage and i am again reemphasizing it is the responsibility of corporate india equally with the governments to make sure that we make a move significant shift in in the in the higher education uh, uh, sector the second uh, one big uh, thing which india has shown is the technology and uh, you know because excess uh, of data we see digital stacks we see aadhar we see uh, you know uh, the the jandhan accounts we see the largest uh, transaction on the upi uh, online uh, payment platform uh, so clearly we are now showcasing the world that on the new technologies adaptation implementation and usage india can take leadership i have the opportunity to have uh, you know discuss with many african leaders the presidents or prime ministers they are interested in unique idea and how can we look at aadhar based platform not only for our country can it cut across 54 countries of africa like the indian continent uh, so these are good things to hear and i believe this is where india during its g20 Uh, you know leadership this this year can not only showcase but also look at prominent partnerships in sharing this with the world i think the more we share the more better the world will become so so that is the uh, the the uh, you know the other area which i believe 
um, and uh, the the uh, technology sector or the services sector is talking of you know going up to 1 trillion uh, contribution on in the, in the in the gdp out of the five and therefore this is some this is something which we need to uh, look at a greater push i have already talked about the manufacturing uh, briefly initial earlier but i have one point which i would like to say here is given the china us conflict in uh, the russia ukraine war clearly there is lot of uh, turmoil uh, in the supply chains in the availability of raw material in the scarcity of food energy so there are different kind of crises uh, in different parts of the world the world is talking of china plus one strategy it could be china plus one it could be china plus two but they are clearly looking at hedging their bets out of china into another uh, nation and my belief is india is in a sweet spot to be that china plus one and i think it is on the governments to not only uh, put their best foot forward in showcasing the 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 different regulatory uh, policies ease of doing business ease of uh, living if i may say these are the factors which is going to attract large private investments into india on supply chain and logistics and by the way the moment we look at that the indian industry gets a huge fillet because these supply chains are being set for global requirements and therefore your products your services can be exported to rest of the world so i would say these are the key i mean there are many many other areas uh, which which we can focus on um, healthcare is for example uh, the the other area which needs to be uh, brought to to the level of the common man uh, and that is where i think it is more the government uh, is playing a larger role can uh, the private healthcare sector healthcare, healthcare service providers also look at uh, uh, being a part of that journey uh, because honestly uh, rajan you know i i i believe and i have been a very very strong proponent of this we we can't be at peace if there is uh, turmoil around us if there is uh, uh, poverty around us if there is uh, if there are people who sleep who go hungry or who don't have access to basic utilities so you can't have islands of uh, you know happiness or islands of wealth the ecosystem around must be uh, uplifted and that is where private sector corporate india must play a very very big role you know i think i think you highlighted so many critical priorities for india and and you know i think the 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 last point that you just talked about right government plus industry and in some cases academia in, involved and you know their own innovation ecosystem all need to really work together right if you see bharti's example you know while you're doing a thousand government schools i mean the need for india is much much larger right and you're absolutely right that that's the way it can happen you know the narrative over the next 25 years it's not a china plus it's an india plus what <laughs> you know if you can change the narrative for the world like that but all of this rakesh will need india i mean our private sector industry to really work in a you know uh, through trust uh, trust mechanism really rely on each other you know still respect the democratic values of a country you know and and still get that to happen i mean you been involved over all these years in so many such conversations and i've personally been part of many of the conversations that you have led and we've had you know 
where and how do you see we us cracking that particular piece because the moment we unlock that i think all the things that we are talking of right even our leadership in technology and everything else you know can just be opened up to a different level and scale and of course this is across states it's across governments at the center you know even somewhere in local governments because you operate across governments at you know at all levels uh, and the bureaucracy so how do we really make it is there a secret sauce <laughs> actually not actually there is no secret sauce in this uh it is uh, if i may say we have to look within ourselves to find the right mix uh, uh to to see how this works you know you talked about trust the matter of fact is the trust deficit is only widening between the government and the private sector between civil society private sector between the civil society and the government so clearly this is not a very good uh, thing you know it it seems to be a broken system uh, but thankfully india with its all all its diversity you know we 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 have the knack of still staying together and looking at the nation as one well. uh, i'm not getting into what the states have the own their own priorities and agendas the matter of fact is uh, uh, and i have no hesitation in saying this i don't know whether this is uh, on uh, is there media on this today no 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 media but it is yeah but it is public here this session will be public yeah. so uh, you know the the only point which i want to make here is that the private sector also gives enough reason to the government for not having trust in us and this is something which need to change and when i say we need to look within this is what we need to you know talk about in this clearly i see more and more things happening and i go back to my uh, you know on the education piece which i started we need to focus on building a strong value system we need to bring to uh, you know build a strong moral society that is something which we need to focus on it will take time since we have lost so much of time and we see the result today it will take time but clearly if i if i see i mean the government have gone into uh, making uh, their their processes and policies uh, to a very large extent transparent i mean you see all the uh, uh, subsidies now majority of them maybe not all i, mean, I don't have the uh, complete knowledge but uh, majority of them are now through direct benefit transfer so the beneficiaries are getting the money directly into their bank accounts which is a, which is a good thing um and i believe that more and more uh, subsidies should go into the name of the lady of the house or the or the women because that is where the money uh, gets utilized effectively more effectively if i may say uh so i think both the governments i would say all stakeholders need to work together in ensuring that this trust deficit comes down it reduces the government must see private sector as a partner and that can be in healthcare services in education in agriculture and many other areas uh, <clears throat> the private sector has the has demonstrated uh, you know uh, uh, huge efficiencies in in delivery uh, whether it is the products or services and that is where the government agencies tend to falter uh, and, and therefore the costs go up there are uh, wastages which happen and ultimately we as a nation have to suffer because uh, it is a cost to every citizen when we look at uh, for example the wastages in the farm sector is huge 
so therefore i would say that a government must invite industry and talk to them and see them as a partner the industry must must see government as a catalyst as an enabler of putting the right policies processes in place and it's our job to comply with every regulation or every uh, you know uh, uh, regulatory regime uh, regulatory uh, um, laws if i may say uh, that will bring the trust deficit uh, uh, gap lower and more and more trust will be in each other we have seen this happening all over the world and i see no reason why in india we can't do that uh, the the <clears throat> the second thing which you talked about is uh, i believe every citizen however uh, you know in in whatever uh, category you sit in today has the responsibility to contribute in their own way by giving time by giving uh, you know money by, by sharing ideas uh, working as groups to see how things can improve within societies we live in within the communities we live in today we are more self centric i think a community uh, connect need to uh, you know need to develop state governments need to see the private sector as partners uh, the state government union the central governments need to see each other as a partner towards the growth of india so all this i believe can help us in making sure that a we look at uh, better employment opportunities for all better inclusive growth and in that i also believe uh, the msme sector is one sector which can play a huge role we have seen during the pandemic uh, you know <clears throat> ultimately uh, there was uh, stress there was loss of jobs but everyone pitched in to support their own employees so clearly that is something which the industry does um, majority of us support our domestic staff uh, you know by education of their of the children or their health all those things so if we start doing these small small things this can result into a much bigger outcome much better india much happier india uh, so i would say that is something for all the stakeholders to put their minds together we just don't need to be seen as the third largest economy but we need to be also seen as the leaders globally on keeping sure that we take care of every indian citizen their basic needs are met with housing water power uh, toilets food so today it's not just roti kapda and makan today there are many things which are basic necessities and that is where if we can uh, uh, contribute in, in any which way that will help us in building a very very strong and a better india now i think you raised so many very critical points in the last set of comments uh, rakesh i think you know particularly i think when you talk of how do we ensure each of us that the entire country moves along you know in terms of development means we are all a partner in the development growth and i think one theme you know that has emerged across a lot of conversations with senior corporate leadership and others is that india's role in the world in the future is not really going to be one of a superpower like the way we see today but more yeah. like a super partner to the world to ensure and see how we can actually drive outcomes for different sets of countries you know in 
different ways rather than you know just make it an india way and this is our thousands of years of culture and history you know the whole vasudev kutumbakam you're talking of you know the g20 being a thought yeah. but you know we are an integral part of shaping the future development and i think the first place to start that is is at home and you know as, as india at 75 you're aware you know the national volunteer grid you know how do we give time skills or money small pieces of that but really build a movement around that could be one great way for us to see more progress you know with the government and we build the mind of platform which is a platform that enables people to step out there to contribute but i think that whole exercise and effort probably needs to be scaled up but your last point you know is which you raised at the initial part of these comments really struck me is that how do we change society to become more moralistic and i think you know the focus on children it will take a generation right and that's the place we can really influence that because i think by the time you reach a particular age you know you're so set in your behavioral pattern that you know the change is probably incremental but if we want to bring about a massive societal change on the way we look at a model trusting society i think that investment in children has to be today and it has to be now and I, I would love to, you know, reach out to you along this exercise of India at hundred, particularly around this theme because it's a very unique perspective, Rakesh, that you brought. But one I think uh, truly believe is 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 so important, you know, and critical, uh, you know, for us as we move forward. Uh, one one other area because we've not touched about it, you know, and I know you're passionate is about the other larger India, rural India, the whole agricultural sector, you know, and and how you know can we build national capacity uh, to maintain food security partnerships in many of those areas, which are also critical, you know, uh, in a in a very different country. Right? You said there are a lot of wastages, there's a lot of that, but again, you know, some thoughts around you because you work deeply in those spaces. What would be some steps? Maybe you know, 25 years is a marathon. But if we are saying in this next hundred meter sprint, right? India at hundred is starting. We're getting in the next year. What can we do? What could be the right steps for us to take somewhere in that sector as well? So I would say, uh, you know, on agriculture, primarily on the primary agriculture. Let me uh, address that first. Uh, while we see we are the second largest uh, growers of rice and uh, wheat in the world, we are the largest milk producer in the world. we are the second largest on pulses and so on and so forth the, the the list goes on but the moment you compare the yield per hectare with the global yields we are laggards and the problem lies in the basic way the primary agriculture is set up today the farmer indian farmer has a average land holding of a, a hectare which is about 2.2 acres Now on a 2.2 acre land you just do not have the wherewithal all to put technology on that 2 acre land and the technology is mechanization more machines rather than manual labor while we have moved to lot of mechanization but that still is a far cry from what we need to make sure that the farmers income improves significantly and uh, there are many ways and uh, i personally was leading the uh, agri policy uh, advocacy at cii for for a very very long time uh, and unfortunately we currently we have now stuck up in the in the um, you know the 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 farm laws the way uh, things stand today and uh, i am a bit uh, uh, you know i would say disappointed that the uh, that the dialogue is not happening 
because ultimately we need to see uh, while the India of 60s, 70s, when we were went out to the world with a begging ball, to the Green Revolution, which currently continues by seeing that we we can sustain our uh, you know food requirements of of our Indian population. As a matter of fact, when we talk of food security of the world, India has one sixth population of, of global population. So when we are feeding our own uh, population and have surplus foods in the in the storages, clearly we are also in a way helping to tackle food security in the world. So so that's the one positive, uh, which I must say. But if we look at the various cropping uh, uh, patterns across the country and we try to pick up the best practices and implement them. The experts say that our product, production productivity can go up by one and a half to two, two X, which means that whatever we are producing today, we can up the end. The problem which, uh, in the, which, which sits out there is the uh, farmers are not moving to high value crops. Until they do that, their, their farm incomes will always remain very, very small and it becomes extremely difficult for them to raise their families and support their families. Uh, food, housing, education, healthcare. And that is one reason which we see all over the country and more prominently in North, where you go to the middlemen, take money at a higher rate of interest for a wedding in the house, for a hospitalization, for education of your children. And one failed crop ensures that you are in perpetuity, perpetuity in debt for your life. Uh, because they charge 18, 24, 30% interest, uh, which is very, very high. And it's just not possible for, for them, for the farmers to really support. And at some point of time, that stress gets into the, uh, into the family. And, uh, you know, we, we, we see uh, some adverse situations we've seen in the past. Having said that, I believe private sector can be, uh, uh, can be a driver of moving the farmers from the basic wheat rice uh, uh, you know cropping pattern to higher high value crops and many private sector uh, initiatives did that for example my own uh, del monte we were into primary agriculture earlier we sort of we just exited now uh, but we were doing baby corn uh, and uh, the farmers income went up by by uh, uh, 7% the fat content in the milk went up by 7% because we told the dairy farmers to grow baby corn. Give me the baby corn and use the fodder. So that fodder increased the yield that increased the fat content. So that was one part of income which came up and the baby corn they sold to us was an additional income. So their income levels went up from 30 to 50%. So there are many such uh, uh, private initiatives. And this is where I believe the private sector can come in. Land is a big issue. And therefore I think the lease of agriculture land on long tenure basis, uh, making sure that the owner does not get alienated from the ownership and the tenant has no tenancy right, can clearly be a classic case where you can aggregate land, bring in modern technologies, use uh, you know irrigation in the right, uh, micro-irrigation in the right perspective, and then make sure that not only you are increasing the productivity, you are also increasing the soil health, you're also looking at uh, uh, high value crops. And by the way, in the neighboring uh, areas, we can be the uh, exporters to, to the Middle East, to, to the um, uh, you know, 
ASEAN countries uh, where we can uh, support them by, by supplying uh, primary agriculture. Having said that, the second leg where private sector can come in is on the food processing. Because the primary agriculture, when you, when you move, it needs the cold chain. And we have a very poor cold chain system in India. And that only will come up when you have modern retail on the front end, uh, in, you know, increasing significant on the, on the fresh farm produce, uh, which is a very, very limited portfolio today. And therefore, once you process, then the cold chain is not required because you've, you've done whatever you have done and you package them into punnets or whatever the case may be. And then you can send this, uh, you know, right up to uh, UK and Europe. And they are covered with snow for six months in a year. And that is a good opportunity for India to export uh, uh, ready to cook or ready to eat meals, fresh vegetables uh, in, a, in a very, very uh, uh, hygiene way, tackled in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a manner that it does, it passes the phytosanitary, uh, you know, um, uh, regulatory requirements uh, of the country where the exports are happening. So there is a large requirement of, uh, again, the state governments and private sector to work together. Uh, we saw the uh, FPOs coming up, farmer producer organizations. They have started to happen. I have seen some cases where there are mechanizations, uh, business opportunities have come up where you lease the machines to the farmers and uh, they don't have to invest because on a two acre, you'll never buy a laser leveler, leveler or a high mulcher or a cutter or whatever the case may be be so these are the things which are happening and i think more and more should come from the state governments in setting up uh, um, machine centers which can lead to the farmers and also make sure that uh, the uh, uh, the end result of this uh, must be the farmer income which needs to go up significantly you no know, and not only that you know that will also drive you know, villages in India becoming self-propelling economic units. I think it also ensure livelihood security, especially in private sector, you know, comes in more into rural areas. We know Prime Minister always talks about urban, you know, how do we take yeah. the combination of rural urban India and all of these points, you know, will will really take India where we need to be by India. I know we've run, you know, I don't know, 40, 40 but, but also, I must, I must also say that this will also ensure employment in rural areas Absolutely. so the, the pressure on move the migration to urban areas Correct. will will go down and there will be uh, you know better living conditions in the villages also yeah. no and i think that's the thing right when the value gets created and there's better efficiency and profitability at that village level <laughs> i think the self sustainability of those ecosystems yeah. you know, will also be driven and i think again a very important area for us to you know kind of focus on you know, I, as we are moving forward, I know, you know, in 2007, when Sunil took over as president of CII, you know, and we were celebrating India at 60, I still remember Rakesh, he, he, you know, and I was just chaired, I chaired the young Indians and he said, you chair, you know, this India at 75, it's young people, you know, being driven in your year when you were president 2018. I still remember our conversations around, you know, your belief in, in young people, right? Even today, the young, number young or the age young is actually getting lower. The Gen Zs, you know, what, 25-year-old or Gen Alphas. And, you know, you've been deeply invested in, in that community. So, yeah. One message to the young people of India. <clears throat> well, I think, you know, this goes without saying that uh, today the demographic dividend which India sits on 
is is a huge positive and uh, if we can tackle this if we can handhold them properly this would be a winning combination for india to be uh, seen as a global leader so that is the first thing which i i can say and therefore first of all our responsibility is that we must ensure good values good education and uh, and if i may say a uh, uh, heart in the right place for the younger generations uh, because that is something which is in the making we have 300 plus million kids in schools 6 to 16 years 10 years from now they're going to knocking at our doors for employment or higher education whatever the case may be so therefore clearly uh, one i believe that uh, what we need to see is india to be a, a, a showcase a global showcase where we talk about equitable prosperity and development uh, which which you mentioned and you know this is prime minister uh, modi's vasundev uh, kadam uh kutumbakam is something you know one nation one earth one people so this is some this is a message uh, which enriches india uh, which enriches our hearts and therefore every young boy and girl needs to take ownership and be ambassador of india carry the message of oneness be proud of that i think that is the first message which i i would like to make the second uh, is uh, the our foundation india's foundation has been laid by the by the teachings of if i may say you know the sages the vedas and what not and today we are uh, you know in, in in the modern world but let us not forget our rich culture rich heritage and the rich past and that must continue because that i believe makes us humble because there is a there is a tipping point uh, and you see this uh, today you know even in india india i keep on seeing uh, the moment you are wealthy you tip on to being arrogant why we need to be humble and these are the teachings which have kept us the way we are today and this is something which we need to carry forward the uh, you know I, i i always quote this the the best exercise for the heart is to bend down and lift someone up that is something which is ingrained in our in our uh, you know dns that is something we need to keep in mind i keep telling you know my younger students whoever i meet whether they are part of my satya bharti schools or other places where our government me that you need to really have a heart to understand that there there is a other india sitting on the other side of the line and can we uh, can we integrate the students whose parents can afford to take them to the best of schools and best of colleges to be seen with the other side to spend some time over there for example i do that our children i have a school in ludhiana satpal mithil school uh they, they the kids go into my satya bharti school and every time they have gone they have come back and thank their teachers that this is something which is a great learning for us similarly when we look around our societies and uh, you know uh, communities and as i mentioned earlier if we start from uh, within our homes 
to start supporting our domestic uh, staff kids we are making a difference <clears throat> the other point is every time you go and interact with uh, the youth i i can tell you in my case i come back energized and that is one reason why i always look young and look happy because i interact with with the younger generation and i learn so much from them every time so learning is part of our uh, life's journey and it only ends when you have left the world otherwise you you can keep learning every day and i can give you a small quote i i went into my one of my village school i walk into a class and uh, the teacher is teaching and i asked him i said how is it going and so he says everything is fine uh, i said what what's your impression he was with us for about month and a half we are teaching these kids uh, who come from very disadvantaged background so uh, what is your take i mean what have you picked up uh, in in a sense of your interactions he said if i can be honest with you i didn't want to join satya bharti school when i was given the opportunity for the simple reason that the kind of kids we are talking of i mean who's going to teach them it will be very difficult he says in the last one and a half month i have learned every day teaching in this school so a teacher learns from these kids who probably would have never gone to school so therefore learning is part of our journey and that needs to be kept in our mind agile all the time and the third is how can we support each other how can we support our families how can we just not limit ourselves to my needs and my family needs but look at the need of community societies around look at need of india as a nation look at the needs of the way i can contribute where india can sit on the high table of policy making i think for far too long india has been a follower of policy making at the global stage i mean if you see the non aligned movement or the punch shield were, were earlier today we see many things international solar alliance is something which prime minister modi is passionate he sort of uh, pushed that agenda today we see many things happening on the on the on the climate uh, side climate action so can india be sitting on the high table of policy making to ensure that the globe is the, the world is integrated into one the 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 uh, the borders may be there but in our minds there should be no borders can we share our learnings with each other can we share our best practices with each other to ensure that this world becomes a better place to live and yeah, no, i think i think all these points and messages to the young people are so so critical and you know the one point that you really talked about the heart i always believe that you know when we look at the world especially the western world and we see leadership and we see people excelling you know they say you need a clear thinking head clean working hands i think adding a warm caring heart to that will really define indianness and you know what yes. india can bring to the world you know very differently and you know bending i think in the vasudev kutumbakam rakesh you know what you say if you if you look at nature you know even you see a tree right it ultimately bends it's regal 200 300 years and provide the shade for others to grow within it so i think this entire aspect of achieving success being humble you know having a warm caring heart taking other people along like what you rightly said can be a very strong indianness that we need to take out to the world and hopefully 25 years down the road that will be the way the world will be and that would probably be india's you know largest contribution uh, more than anything else and i know we all dream of such things and my last question to you rakesh is you know like if you're in a dream right you you got a bed you're dreaming about india at 100 right 
what's that dream i i know we've covered so many aspects but something that's personal if you were to envision india you know you were to see that as a as a dream today you know because that's really the we want to stretch aspirations and we know you know we'll only have to innovate through limited resources to get there but what's that dream that you see for india and with that we will kind of bring this conversation to us well i would say i dream of a india uh, in 2047 as being seen as uh, uh, as a global power uh, which provides very very strong ethics and strong leadership i would like to see india in 2047 which is high on technological developments innovation and showing the world uh you know the products and services which can be delivered but at a at a affordable price i think that is one thing which india has done very effect even when we look at the you know the mars mission i mean 700 crores i i was at isro when the one web launch happened our own you know uh, 36 satellites went up i mean it was a dream to see what what they uh, that they what they have done over there. so clearly there is lot of enterprise there is lot of innovative scientific mind sitting in india and this is the time when we need to start providing them opportunity in india for them to make sure that they be here not be somewhere else and uh, and, and contributing to the 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 goodness of mankind um and i would like to see india uh which should be a happy india every citizen in 2047 can be put a smile on their face with no worry on basic necessities and can we enable uh, a strong india uh, every citizen who is uh, capable of contributing his her own uh, might ideas uh, if i may say businesses professional uh, thing and as i keep hearing uh, you know why should one be looking at getting educated and find a job why can't you be job givers and there is going to be a lot of opportunity today india is the calling card if you see the globe uh, the, the 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 economic growth is very very you know uh, subdued uh, india at 6 and 1/2 7% this year will again be the bright spot and so clearly there's a there's a there's a big opportunity and therefore i would say when we talk of uh, uh, wealth when we talk of uh, achievements uh, i think happiness index of india needs to be amongst the best and that would be a great great contribution from all of us i don't know whether we will be living in 2047 or not but at least our future generations can say and thank the current generation and the past generations of having brought a place or a country like india where they can live happily as uh, as one family and also look at india being the global power which it which it has the right to be i think we will come full circle I mean, when you see 1920s, India and China were 52% of the uh, economies in the world. I mean, everyone was uh, way, way behind us, and therefore, this is something which uh, which will be good. In fact, I am reminded of uh, you know Kishore Mahbubani. Uh, <coughs> he he sent me an article yesterday, and he says, "Gone are the time when there used to be unipolar India, 
a unipolar world. Uh, although he says that it was never unipolar, it was bipolar. It was uh, U.S. Russia and now it is U.S. China. But the world is now expecting to be uh, in to see a country who can be the third pole, independent without any alignment, contributing to making sure that the world is a better place. And I think India is in a sweet spot and has the opportunity to be that one big country. No, I think I think very very powerful way to close this and rooted that that super India, superpower India, or the one that is giving direction to the world, rooted in happiness with capacity in its people, you know, at its optimal level. Because I think only only happy people can make others happy, and yeah. I think that's the infectious energy that India can carry out to the world. I think Rakesh has been such a lovely conversation, right from technical conversations to manufacturing, education to really ending it on a on a, on a conversation that is really bringing out the best of each person in India. Really, thank you so much for such an insightful, engaging conversation. We've been 60 minutes at it; and it didn't even feel like that. And I'm sure there are so many gems. There's so many gems in this conversation, you know, that can benefit India on the journey forward to India 2047. So again, thank you so much, Rakesh, for making this. No, Rajan, my my compliments to you again. I I, I assume that uh, this was first in the series, and you're going to have lot many. Yes, uh, yes, we are doing a few. Yes. So yes. I would say at the end, when you close in August, yeah. I think you should put all this together, and then yeah. share it with the larger audience. Sure. And and I think this will be a good input. Uh, as a matter of fact, this should be run in the, you know, the, the outcome of this could be uh, part of uh, school curriculum. Sure. Because that is where we, when we talk of values, this is something the, the students need to know. The strengths of India today and how we are looking at 25 years from now. No, I think, I think what you say is so true because that inspiration is what children need at the right point in their, you know, education journeys because most stories when you hear of successful people, you know, someone going to the moon or aspiring, you always hear that there's some, some episode in their childhood that triggered that curiosity for them to do that. And no, thank you for that input and we'll definitely, you know, see how CI and others can really take this out at mass uh, over the next few years. Thanks. Thank you, Rakesh. Bye. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.